Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the book of Romans and we've understood uh, Paul to talk about grace quite a bit. And we understand that he laid out the whole thing much like uh, as I mentioned the first time I preached uh, out of uh, Romans in, in chapter 1. It, it's almost as if Paul is, is setting the whole scene like a, a cinematographer would a movie. He set out the, the whole situation how we're destitute in sin, that we have no hope and that uh, there's no uh, way in which we can overcome that sin of ourselves, and he he also explained as we looked at last week the fact that that it's not something just simply that we've done, but that we're born into this sin, that we have a sinful nature, and that we're born that way, and we we uh, we have such a, a problem with our sin situation. We looked at how if we would just accept God's gift that, that we would overcome that sin. Today we're looking at, at uh, Romans chapter 6 and, and I want to uh, focus you on that. We're going to begin uh, really uh, towards the 6th verse, but I, I want to point out to you some things that are here right at the beginning that we're not going to really address completely. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? He's talking about this sin problem and how when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart and life that that God allows us to overcome that sin situation in our life. He he. What does he do? He covers us in the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And and because of that, we have uh, salvation and we have grace, and we are allowed to uh, to in our life to to take care of that sin problem, right? So what Paul is addressing now is the next step. And for a lot of Christians, we get so caught up and we get so excited about the first step of stepping into salvation and getting baptized and, and all of that kind of stuff that we and we and we rightly should. We should be very excited about the fact that we've gotten uh, that someone has come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that that person is is allowing themselves to. Uh, to be covered by the blood of Christ and that they're no longer uh, in that bad deal that I was telling you about. Remember that bad deal of, of having sin and, and, and the fact that we have been just completely uh, given the best deal of, given that opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You can listen to those again on the podcast. If you didn't hear them before, you can go back and listen to the others. But today we're talking about that next step, which is, is the fact that once we do get saved, a lot of times we forget of the fact that even though we have been covered by God's grace, we still have a problem with sin, don't we? 
Just because we have been saved and God's grace has been applied to our life, a lot of times we feel like, uh, okay, that's enough. That's all the worry I'm going to have to do. God said that He'd forgive me for all my sins and then all that will be taken care of. Yes, that's true. But Paul addresses this aspect of the fact that you're still alive. You're still breathing. And as long as we're breathing and on this earth, we will have a problem with sin. Ask anybody who's got, uh, become a Christian, do they ever stop sinning? No, we don't. We may sin less frequently because of our more mature attitude towards Jesus Christ and our relationship to Christ, but we still have a problem with sin. Even though we're no longer bound by sin as, and have death as a result of that sin, we still have sin. And that's the struggle every Christian has. I want to tell you a story about a, a fellow who uh, went to Louisiana State University, and he was a big fella. He was about six foot six, and his name was C.B. Blaylock. He was a big old guy. And he was a boxer, and he lived in the 1930s, and he was, boxing was a big thing. It was about as big as football back then. Uh, football as big as today. Uh, boxing was as, as much of a, a sport as football is today. And so he was a big old boxer, and he was, a, he was one of the best. He was still an amateur, but he was a heavyweight contender. He was somebody that could go on and, and uh, become a professional and all that kind of thing. Well, he was taking on this guy from Mississippi State that was kind of short and stocky. He was kind of like a big brick, you know. Uh, bricks can be kind of small, but they pow- uh, have a lot of power to them and everything. He was This guy that he was taking on was short and stubby, but he was had a lot of power to him. So Blaylock, he was sitting out there and he was uh they were dancing around and everything and he he had this haymaker that he just let me tell you if you got hit by that you were gone and he let loose of that thing and the other guy kind of ducked because he was already kind of short he kind of ducked underneath that big haymaker that was coming around and when he came up a little bit early and the top of his head hit the elbow of blaylock and as a result blaylock missed the guy and came on around. The inertia just kept on going. And guess what? He punched himself in the jaw. He is the first heavyweight contender boxer ever to punch himself out. He just, he, he hit himself so hard with that punch. He was ready to just knock this guy out and be done with the, with the fight. And he, after he got hit, he kind of staggered around, grabbed hold of the ropes, and then he went down and he was out for the count knocked himself out. A lot of times, <coughs> we as Christians do the same thing. We, we, look, we have been given salvation by God's grace and we've been covered by His blood and His grace is applied to our life to the point where we no longer are condemned by the penalty of sin, which is death. But we continued to hit ourselves in the jaw like Blaylock did because we continued to allow sin to tempt us to step further and further away from God. And so Paul here addresses that. He says, are we going to... Because we have salvation, and that's what he kind of... You have to... Verse 6 begins by saying, what shall we say then? 
And what he's saying is, he's kind of, you have to remember, when Paul wrote this, this was a letter. And it, it wasn't separated out by chapters or verses or anything like that. So if you want to know exactly what Paul's talking about, you have to go back to chapter 5 and look at the end. He says... Um, he says, therefore, and we looked at that last week. He says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. He's talking about who? Adam. He's talking about uh, that condemnation came upon all men, even so by the righteousness of one, who? Jesus. The free gift has come upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many verse 19, were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We looked at this last week. He says, look, Jesus is like a second Adam is what he's saying. And he says that specifically, uh, explicitly in another gospel. And this was a, a uh, popular theme for Paul. He says, look, just as, as we're all sinners and we have all sinned, Come falling short of the glory of God. And he says this just a few verses before this. He says, uh, he says, and by sins, uh, by Adam's sin, we're all condemned, but by Jesus Christ and his act of righteousness and his his payment of our sin on the cross of Calvary, we're all made righteous along with Jesus. And so he says, So what are we going to say to this? What are we going to do now that and and if we put this in modern terms we'd say oh, so what's next? What are we going to do next? If we're all saved by God's grace and we're all made righteous through the act of Jesus Christ, what's next? Shall we continue in sin simply so that God's grace can abound? He says, "Look, uh, he said last uh, we said la- uh, said last week and as we looked at chapter 5 that God's grace is sufficient to cover all of our sin. God's grace is enough to cover. No matter what we've done, God's grace is enough to cover us completely. So what are we going to do? Are we going to continue to sin so that God's grace can abound? If God's grace covers all of my sin, does that mean that I can keep on sinning so God's grace will get greater and greater? Paul says, heaven forbid. He says, no, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And here's the crux of Paul's argument going into chapter 6. He says, look, we've been made dead to sin, so no longer do we have... And his... his, uh, his example uh, going back last week was, look, if you are... And I love this example. He says, if you're married to a, a husband or a wife, you're, you're married to your spouse, and that spouse passes away, are you any longer married to that individual? Well, no. That person's passed on. Now, you might have in your heart that you love them and you want to always be faithful to them. That's your decision. But, uh, but he says, no longer are you bound by your marriage vows because you uh, that person has passed away. They're dead to you. And he says in the same way, you have died to sin. You're no longer... Uh, you're no longer yourself. You're dead to sin. So therefore, you no longer uh, under the... the uh, uh, the rule of sin in your life. Look down at verse 6, knowing this, and, that, and again, 
that Paul is pointing back to what we just covered. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So he says, look, you're dead to sin. You're no longer... Uh, sin has no more control over you. It, it'd be just... Paul would uh, use this analogy a little bit uh, in his day because people understood about slavery, bondage. And I think we have a, a working knowledge of slavery enough to, to use this analogy as well. Look, you're in bondage. You're in slavery to your master. And once you die, are you still a slave to that individual? Well, no, because you're dead. They can't force you to work on, and let's put it in southern terms of uh, turn of the uh, last century, Uh, you can't work on a plantation picking cotton any longer because guess what? You're dead. You can't, they they can wheel you out there, but they're not going to be able to make you pick cotton because why? You're dead. You're no longer under the ma- uh, that master because you are dead. Paul says in the same way, you are dead. Sin is no longer your master. You don't have to serve that master of sin any longer in your life because you have died with Christ. When Christ died on the cross of Calvary, He says you died as well. You died with Christ. When you accepted Jesus into your heart and life, He uh, nailed that sin to the cross of Calvary. He, He took upon Himself your sin and no longer are you alive to that sin to be the master of your life, but now you are dead to sin. It no longer has dominion over you. It, you no longer are controlled by sin. So why is it that we do? Why is it that we do allow sin to continue in our life? Paul says, look, you're no longer under the rule of sin so, uh, because of Christ. And not only that, he says, we're also alive with Him. Just as Jesus Christ died on the cross, we're dead to sin and we're no longer controlled by sin. And just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead and has dominion and has authority and power over death because He raised, rose from the dead, you also are alive in Christ. You have been, you're dead to sin and now you're alive to live a new life. It's like being given a, a lease on new life. You, you've get, you, you're no longer the person you were that was in bondage to sin. Now you're a new person and you're allowed to live with Christ. Look at verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He says, just as Jesus Christ died on the cross once and for all for sin, you no longer need to have, you no longer need to die to sin. And and I think this is a wonderful analogy. Look, whenever sin has gets its grip on you, Paul is through the authority of the Holy Spirit and through God's guidance is saying, look, you're dead to sin. So when when you when you are going through your life and you have difficulty with a certain sin in your life, he says, "Look, just remind sin that you're dead to it." 
What you're really doing is what? You're reminding yourself that you're dead to sin. And that sin does no, no longer has control over you. You might be somebody that has a problem with you know, picking up things that aren't yours and putting them in your pocketbook or in your pocket. You might be somebody that has a problem with, with uh, thinking bad thoughts and thinking uh, lustful thoughts. That no longer has authority in your life. It has no rule in your life. It has no more place in your life. Why? Because you're dead to that sin. You're no longer the same person. You're you're not alive anymore. I mean, if I, heaven forbid, if if somebody uh, uh, should pass away, that person no longer has, do, do they anymore have to worry about their blood pressure? No. Do they have to anymore worry about uh, the effects of chocolate cake on their body? No. Do they anymore have to worry about whether or not uh, they have their their blood sugar is high or low, or if they have to worry about whether or not their heart's going to beat right. No, because they're dead. They're they're no longer alive. They don't have to worry about all those things. And in the same way, when you're dead in Christ, you're dead to sin. You no longer ha- you don't have to worry about sin. Does that mean that you're not going to sin? No. It means that it doesn't have to have the same control over you. It doesn't have to have the same authority over you. And so when you sin and you have when you slip up from time to time, Paul's saying, look, just remind yourself, you're not in chains any longer to this sin. It can't, it can't shackle you and take you away. When you're driving down the highway and you're going 95 miles an hour, guess what? Somebody's going to stop you. You might get away with it for a while. You might be able to drive for a good while. You might make it halfway to Atlanta, but somewhere along Macon, they're going to stop you, aren't they? They're out there in full force, aren't they? They're they're waiting on you to come speeding by on I-75, aren't they? And you're not going to be able to make it all the way to Atlanta going 90... I've seen a few that have made it pretty much all the way. But But... In theory, there's going to be some, uh, Georgia State Patrol. There's going to be a, a sheriff's de- uh, department from one of those counties. There's going to be somebody that's going to be there to pull you over. And going 95 miles an hour, if you have a habit of that, guess what? You might be invited to go back and stay a little while with them and visit, won't you? They might they might insist upon the fact that they extend to you some courtesy of a visit. And they might put those uh, nice bracelets on your wrist and might give you a ride to the station uh, just so you don't have to worry about driving anymore. Won't they? And they'll put you in this room that is secure. Let me tell you, you will not have to worry about going anywhere because they will make sure you stay there and they'll bring you food, they'll bring you water, and they'll even provide a bed for you to stay there if you uh, to stay for a while. And they'll turn the lights on and off for you too. And let me tell you, they, they're, they are hospitable, aren't they? But guess what? You and I can have an assurance with and sins that way too. We tend to allow sin to have a place in our life and sin will bind you up, won't it? It will 
want to take you places that you don't want to go and it will take you away from where you're supposed to be. But, but Paul says, look, you're dead to that sin. So you could just tell that sin, hey, guess what? I'm no longer alive. I'm not under your authority any longer. And so I'm going to go on home. I'm going to go back. And that'd be like saying to that nice police officer that pulled you over that was so concerned with your life, you might say, hey, I understand what I did wrong and I promise you I won't do it anymore as much as I can. So I'm going to go on home. And and it's like him taking off them handcuffs and saying, hey, you know what? It was nice to see you, but you go on home and we'll visit with you another time. <laughs> it's like have getting that get out of free jail card out of Monopoly and saying, you know, okay, I understand I did wrong, but I'm just visiting instead of staying. And look, we ought to understand that sin has its consequences, but we don't have to be controlled by sin. It doesn't mean that we're that we don't have we don't feel the pain that comes. Well, look, if we're, if we're like we should be with Christ, we should feel the pain it causes God when we sin. We should empathize with God that, that our, and understand that our relationship is being broken with God and that we're no longer as close to God as, as we should be. And, and that pains God because He loves us. And he, won't, and he did everything that He possibly could to bring you back closer to Him to the point of sending His Son to the cross to die for your sins. And so it, it affect, your sin affects God. So it ought to affect you when you sin. It ought to pain you. Why? Because when you accept Jesus into your heart and life, you ought to have the same... You ought, you're beginning to take on God's characteristics. He says, look, I've adopted you into the family, and as a result, you're becoming more like God. Uh, you're coming more in tune with God, and you're coming closer to God. And so... It, you ought to feel the pain of of sin just as much as God feels that pain. It ought, it's not a flippant thing. Oh, God, God will save me. God will forgive me. So I can just go on and sin and do whatever I want to. No, you ought to feel that that burning desire to be close to God and understand that you're separated from God. But you ought to understand you're not under its authority any longer. That sin no longer keeps you bound. Verse 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. We're given new life because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Likewise reckon ye also, verse 11, yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies as you should obey it in the lust thereof. So he's saying, look, don't allow sin to control your life. Neither yield your members uh, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." And so what Paul is saying, look, I understand. Now remember he's writing to Roman 
Israelites who are Romans and he and living in Rome, and he's saying, "Look, I understand that you have this." And again, they were fixated on the law of Moses, the law, the law, the law, the law. And Paul said, "Look, you're no longer under the law; you're under something new, and it's called grace. It's God's grace." And he says, "Look, no longer." This is the best way to think of it. No longer are you getting what you deserve. You're not getting the penalty of sin, which is death. You're not getting what you deserve. He says you're getting what you don't deserve. And that's grace. And that, in essence, is the definition of grace. You're getting not what you deserve, but what you don't deserve. You're getting God's forgiveness, His love that's been uh, uh, spread on your life. And some people have a problem with grace. They think God only has this much grace. Well, God's got this much grace. He gave me my grace when I first became a Christian. And that's all the grace I'm going to get. And there's some, some Christians that go through their life and they, they're just like, um, uh, uh, they're just like, not Oliver Twist, but they're just like, uh, um, what's the little urchin boy that came up? Please, sir, may I have some more? They come, they come to, uh, up to God and they say, please, sir, may I have some more? May I have a little bit more? <coughs> they're thinking that God's grace isn't big enough to cover them all. They think that that they they believe oh I'm doomed because I've I've done it now God forgave me of all my sin and now I've got sin again in my life and there's no way that God could possibly forgive me anymore. Paul says, look, God's grace abounds, but you shouldn't be going out and sinning so that you would can have more grace. But you do need to understand that you don't have to have sin in your life. You don't have to allow sin to control your life. You don't have to to allow sin to, to control you any longer. But you now are alive to God's righteousness. You're alive and you're not you're dead to sin, but alive in God's grace. He says again, he reiterates that in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. He said again, just because God's grace is there doesn't mean you have license to sin. Verse 16, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin or of death, of obedience unto righteousness? He says, look, you need to understand this. You're, not, you're no longer the slave of sin. You're dead to that sin. He's not your master any longer, but you can make yourself a slave to sin. By allowing your, uh, by after God has set you free, He's given you the emancipation proclamation and no longer are you under the penalty of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're free. Doesn't mean you need to go running back to the sin plantation and allowing that sin to continue to put you in shackles. You need to understand you're dead to that sin so no longer can those shackles enslave you but you can enslave yourself. You can allow yourself to be enslaved to sin because guess what? And this, I love this. He says, whatever you obey, you're a slave to. That means, look, 
that goes beyond sin, doesn't it? If you obey your job more than you obey God, guess what? You're a slave to your job. And not to, wouldn't it be wonderful just to be the slave to, uh, unto God because God's not going to enslave you. He doesn't enslave you. You're not a slave to sin, but you can be enslaved to that bass boat. Uh-oh. I stepped in it, hadn't I? You, you could be enslaved to that bass boat and, and feel like, oh, I work hard. I work 60 hours a week. I've only got Sunday to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And I'm going to enjoy myself. But if you do, you're enslaved to that job and you're enslaved to that bass boat. You're enslaved to your enjoyment. And guess what? There's a lot of people that are enslaved to their own enjoyment. I enjoy, you name it. You put a big blank and you fill in the blank. Whatever it is. And if you can't give that up, to be with God. If you can't give that up to spend a little bit of time with God, if you can't give that up in order to spend time devoted to God, then you're a slave to it. Let me hit home a little bit closer. And I'm sorry for stepping on so many toes because I, listen, my, my toes are black and blue. I stepped on mine enough already. If you're so busy, you can't spend any time in God's Word, studying His Word, then you're enslaved to something in your life that's, t- that's robbing you of time to spend with God. God gives you 24 hours in a day and he, he expects a little bit of that time each day to spend with Him. He doesn't require all of it. You ought to want to give all of it to God. But you know, we ought to at least give 10% of our day to God, shouldn't we? Tithe our day to God? That means spend a little bit of time in God's Word so that He can speak to our heart. Spend a little time of, of our day in prayer so that God can speak to our heart and we can speak back to Him. We can express our needs to God. We ought to spend some time. If you don't have time in your week to spend in God's house to worship Him and exalt Him and to have the edification of all the other saints along with you, then you're robbing God and you're worshiping something other than God. Amen. Well, I don't have time to go to church. Well, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, you're not acting like it. You're, you might be. You'd be like just like those Israelites that that worship God, but also worship Baal. We got we got some cleaning to do, don't we? In the Old Testament, whenever there was a good king that came along. He would take all the Asherah poles and he'd take the, the, the altars to Baal and he'd clean them out. He'd rebuild the altar to, to Yahweh and he would call the people of God to purify themselves and come and worship God at the altar of God. And for some Christians, that's what we need to do. We need to clean out our house of all the the idols that we've set up to that iPhone or that uh, that that uh, Galaxy phone that we spend hours and hours and hours doing silly stuff on that phone. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit of enjoyment or use out of our phone, but if it takes up all your time. And you're not spending any time in God's Word. You're not spending any time in prayer. You're not spending any time in serving God by going and talking to people, knocking on doors like we talked about doing this Saturday. 
If you're not doing any of that because your time is filled up with watching TV or, or uh, spending time on Snapchat or whatever it might be, listen, you've got to make some choices in your life. Is God going to rule your life or is that other thing going to rule your life? And let me tell you something. There's some people that make their family their false god. They spend all their time focused on their family, going to ball games with their uh, little boy or going to cheerleading with their daughter. That They have made their child or their spouse a false god. God doesn't expect you not to love your children or your spouse, but He expects you to love Him more than them. You need to spend time with God. Amen. You need to spend time. And, oh, I can spend time with God out on my bass boat or I can spend it up in my, my deer hunting blind. Are you really spending time with God? Are you really spending it focused on that deer or that bass? We need to spend time with God. Paul says, look, you're free. Live free as God has allowed you to be. Look, whatever you allow to control your life is your God. Look at verse 17. But thanks, uh, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that from uh, that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being that made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. When you get accepted Jesus into your heart, He made you free. But you ought to, instead of making yourself a servant of sin again, after being made free from sin, you need to make yourself a servant to Jesus Christ. Because He's the one that made you free. And He's made you free indeed. We can place our trust in Him and we can have Him come into our heart and life and forgive us. But you can ruin all of that by allowing yourself to be the slave of sin. He says, look, the best thing you can do is when you have sinned in your heart and life and you've slipped up, you pray to God to ask for forgiveness and say, God, I know I'm dead to sin. Lord, help me to make that sin dead to me. Lord, I, I'm, I know I'm dead to sin. Make me dead to that sin so that that sin has no more control in my life. Help me to act as if I am dead to that sin and allow that sin to no longer be alive in my life but be dead to me. Guess what? He'll flick those sins off of your life and you'll no longer have problems with those sins if you truly mean what you pray and you allow God to make that sin dead to you. You'll have victory over that sin. You'll have life in righteousness as God intended for you to have. Let's pray.